With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, here's a guy that I've been relying on for a while. We just haven't talked to him for a while. We had his buddy Joe on a lot during the midterms, but we got a national election. That means we got to pull out all the elections daily. Big guns. He is the editor in chief and the founder, I think it's fair to say that, of elections-daily.com. Our very good friend, Eric Cunningham. How are you, sir? Been far too long. Yeah, I'm doing good. It has been a while. Uh, it certainly has been. <laughs> yeah. And for those of you that don't know, elections-daily.com, put them in your rotation. A lot of straight data. They do a little bit of commentary, but mostly it's real data heavy stuff. They're great on elections. They saw that there was a need for a new way to cover elections. They just started doing it. Um, I call him the wrong kind of uh, mountaineer because he's an Appalachian state guy. But nevertheless, <laughs> y'all have been doing it. It's gotten bigger. We were just talking about it. You're on what your third major national mm -hmm. election now. For folks that aren't familiar with Elections Daily, just real quick, and we're going to get into this Senate race, what is it you do? Why is it different? And why has it caught on and you're having the success you're having? Uh, yeah, so we basically just started uh, around the 2020 cycle. There was a lot of election outlets at the time that were specifically focusing on the data side of things. And almost all of those outlets tended to be uh, partisan. They tend to be Republican or they tend to be Democrat. Not That's not a bad way to cover things. They're, you know, uh, daily cost elections on the Democratic side, RH elections on the Republican side, do a pretty good job covering the data, but they have their their partisan biases. They're from an angle of supporting Republican or supporting Democratic candidates. Um, so the data is obviously going to be inherently um, a little bit different than if you're doing it from a nonpartisan angle. Uh, we're not partisan. We don't have a particular. We don't have a side we're rooting for. We have an even number of staff members who are Republicans or Democrats or anything in between. Um, and we just we just try to cover things from an object objective angle, um, kind of removed from the sort of more partisan angle of the data data politics uh, side of things. Yeah, Eric Cunningham joining us. Um, we're going to talk all your latest piece at elections-daily.com. You're taking up the Senate. All right, here's the overall dynamic. You tell me if this is how you're seeing it. We know the House is a real hot mess of craziness right now. Mm -hmm. The GOP is trying to figure out how they're going to do stuff. There's probably not going to be a lot of legislative going on. We know the McCarthy saga has kind of handicapped what he can and can't do. We'll put that to the side for a second. The Senate has been a little quieter other than maybe the Kristen Cinema thing and that sort of stuff. But that's by design. Your friend of mine, cocaine Mitch McConnell, he looks at these maps like mm -hmm. you do the Senate is very, very favorable to Republicans on paper in 2024. And that's why I think you're going to see them try to separate from what's going on in the House a little bit. I mm -hmm. think he's not going to blatantly run against the House GOP, but he is very much going to be like, hey, look at us and try to contrast 
That's the dynamic. The Republicans mm -hmm. are like, we've got a real good chance of getting the Senate back in 2024. Yeah, the, the Senate is a really interesting situation. We thought last cycle would be a pretty good one for Republicans. Democrats did manage to gain a seat. Um, and that was totally possible. The, the, the map was pretty thin for Democrats, but it was possible that they could, you know, hold their major states and flip a state, which they ended up doing. We didn't think that was the best, the like most likely scenario, but it was one that's certainly possible. This time around, it's a lot different. Um, the states that are up this time are the same ones that were up in 2018 and in 2012. These states are, to put it simply for Democrats, very, very bad. There's way too many Democratic states that are up. And there's virtually no competitive Republican states that are up. What I mean by competitive Republican states? You would think that the swing states like, you know, Georgia, North Carolina, uh, those sorts of states that Democrats could theoretically compete in uh, would be up. No, the only the only three two states that we actually have on the board that Republicans have are Texas and Florida. Those are the two absolute best case states for Democrats to pick up this time. Neither of them are likely. Democrats have not won statewide in Texas in, I think, 30 years now. And Republicans, obviously, in Florida, just won pretty much all their statewide races by 15 to 20 point margins. So we have these likely Republican. We think those are almost certainly going to go to the Republican side. But those are the best case states for, for Democrats. Like the rest of the map here is just like states like Indiana, Mississippi, you know, North Dakota, states they, they had in 2018. Uh, and, and lost then, but very few they could actually take up. So what are the other states? They're all states that are basically Democratic states, and many of them are competitive. They're states that voted either for Donald Trump in 2016 or 2020, or they're states that have just been perpetually competitive. So Democrats have have three states they're defending that voted for Trump by double-digit margins or near double-digit margins. Ohio, which voted for Trump by about eight points, uh, Montana, which voted for Trump by 16, and West Virginia, which voted for Trump upwards of 40 percentage points. Uh, they can only afford to lose one state because they have a 51 to 50 majority. If Republicans win the White House, that means 50-50 would be a majority. So they could only they couldn't even lose a single state in that scenario. But even if they still win the presidency, they only need they Republicans only need to flip two states, and there are two states that Trump won by double digits. Those are, should be really good targets for Republicans. This is without even getting into you know, your Arizonas of the world, Wisconsin's, uh, Michigan's, Pennsylvania's, those sorts of states, Nevada. Like, this is a brutal map for Democrats, just absolutely brutal. Yeah. Uh, let's start with this, though. We got to go over the last election before we can go to the next one. The candidate quality was the story mm -hmm. of the midterm election. There's just no denying it. You can spin it however you want to. People will tolerate a lot politically. They're just not going to tolerate crazy. Yes. That's the lesson here. I think to talk about that dynamic between Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy and what the GOP is fighting internally about right now, Mitch knows that lesson well. He doesn't want crazy on his Senate ballots. You're mm -hmm. already seeing that fight now as people start declaring, people start running. That's kind of the inside baseball for the GOP is, yeah, we got a shot at it, but you know, the more traditional folks like McConnell are like, please don't send me crazy. Whereas yep. the firebrands are going to feel kind of enabled by the McCarthy thing and go, no, we need more people that are firebrands and hardliners and things like mm -hmm. that. That's what to watch for. Who's actually going to be running and who wins these primaries. Is that a fair way to lay this out? Yeah, it's really going to boil down to candidate quality. Not as much as last time, because the states that were up last time were closer to the national you know, median states like Wisconsin, North Carolina, 
Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona, you know, Arizona states like that. Some of those are up this time as well. But you also have states that are out of the mix that would be even there are states Republicans could flip even with a bad nominee. But yeah, last time Republicans uniformly in pretty much all their swing states nominated bad candidates or very bad candidates. We're talking in places like Arizona, they nominated Blake Masters. If you looked at him, you could just see kind of the problem. If you listen to him talk, look at him, look at his platform, this is the type of guy that scares voters off. And a great contrast here is Georgia, right? Brian Kemp is a very, very conservative governor. He's a very, very conservative individual. He's also not crazy. Voters were more than more than happy to give him a second term by eight percentage points, but they didn't vote for Herschel Walker. They voted for Raphael Warnock instead because Herschel Walker was just a bad candidate who scared voters. This is just fundamentally something Republicans have to realize is that they cannot sit out of these primaries. There's a reason Democrats intervene in almost every single primary in every state, regardless of of what it is. They do not. They try and avoid letting their crazy wing get states, and it tends to work. They tend to at least get nominees who you can imagine being elected. Like the best Republican recruit last cycle was probably Adam Laxalt, and he still lost. That that says a lot about just the, the state of Republican recruiting. States like Ohio, where J.D. Vance was the nominee, every other Republican on, this, on the ticket was winning Ohio by double-digit margins, high double-digit margins, and he managed to, to only win by seven. That's embarrassing. In a, in, a, in a year that shifted Republican by about five percentage points or more, winning Ohio by a lower margin than Trump is really embarrassing. Just absolute clown show. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And uh, Eric Cunningham joining us that, you know, these kind of polling isn't everything, but you, you're a data guy. You're a data heavy guy. It's one of the reasons I rely on you and take your counsel on these things. Masters reportedly, and this is more than one person. He had some of the worst unfavorables people had ever mm -hmm. seen. Like you get that kind of stuff. Yep. You hear, you've already touched on some of the other things, you know, look at Pennsylvania with Master Nano for, for governor. And mm -hmm. then, you know, the, the Oz thing, which nobody with a brain thought was a good idea. You just, I hate to repeat myself. You just can't run crazy, especially mm -hmm. look, if everything's good in the world, you can get away with running some crazy when there's turmoil and questions and trouble in the world. People don't want crazy. I, kn mm -hmm. I know we can talk all the data and all the politics and all the trends and everything else. For the average person, the normies, although I hate that term, it really is just that simple when they mm -hmm. go to a ballot a lot of times, isn't it? Which one yeah. of these person people do I want to hear from for the next couple of years on my TV? And it's not only that. It's people. It, they want politicians to be talking about the things that matter to them. Oz did not run a great campaign. He at least talked about that sort of stuff. Mastriano 
was talking about election fraud the entire time. In Arizona, you had Blake Masters, who was just running a bizarre campaign that combines the worst of libertarianism and populism together into a single ticket. He, he seemed to be running his own campaign strategy, which was just basically posting one minute long ads of him yelling at a camera for a minute. It didn't work. It didn't work. And, his, and when he did speak policy, oftentimes it was stuff that was unpopular, like, for example, um, privatizing Social Security or banning all abortions or repealing um, Griswold versus Connecticut, which is the Supreme Court ruling that banned the uh, banned banning birth control that prevented states from banning birth control. Like all this stuff is just really concerning to voters who who care about pocketbook issues. The economy was bad. Republicans should have done better, and they didn't because they nominated a bad slew of candidates who talked about things nobody cared about. This time around, look at what politicians are talking about instead of what's actually going on. It, it could be anything, but a lot of times people right now are talking about things that do not matter. They're talking about drag queens, or they're talking about gas stoves, or they're talking about any num uh, the green M&M. Like, nobody cares about this stuff. And honestly, it, it scares people when, on top of that, these people who don't who are talking about things they don't care about do genuinely scare them. That they, they genuinely feel uncomfortable voting for these people. That's something they're going to have to learn. They're going to have to learn to nominate candidates who people are comfortable voting for. They, they had a good record of the gubernatorial races. No reason they can't apply the same standard to Senate races. It just requires them to put in the effort. When they did put in the effort, they did well. Alabama, Katie Britt uh, versus Mo Brooks. The establishment went in heavily for Katie Britt. They they heavily supported her campaign. She's a normal person running against Mo Brooks, who's a very, very conservative House Freedom Caucus member. And it worked. He She beat Mo Brooks by a decisive margin in that primary. Won almost every county in the state in the primary. This can work when they do it. They just have to bother to do it. Yeah. And that's a great example because they're looking at that like, you know, she could be a senator there for 40 years with the way mm -hmm. that state lines up. Eric Cunningham joins. Okay. Let's do what you do best. You get in these things and dig them in. Let's just start with what was the hottest mess of 2022 is probably going to be the hottest mess of 2024. Arizona, the land of Goldwater yep. and McCain. I, they made this thing purple in a big old hurry and the Arizona GOP absolutely did it to themselves. Now mm -hmm. we got even more twist because Kristen Cinema, she hasn't announced what she's going to do, but she did announce that she's going to be an independent now caucusing with the Democrats. Obviously a deal. Look, let's be adults here. There was a deal struck there because she kept all her committee assignments. So, you know, mm -hmm. Schumer there, there's a lot of hemming and hawing by the power brokers that be where they're not exactly throwing her overboard yet. Ruben Gallego, which absolutely surprised nobody, he hit while the iron was mm -hmm. hot and immediately declared for Senate for the Democratic Party. This is going to be the top line what's going to happen race of this Senate cycle because of what happened last time and what looks like it's going to happen this time. I know the GOP side, but let's just start right there. What's this dynamic going to be, and does anybody really know? Um, it honestly just boils down straight up to who Republicans nominate and how good of a candidate Gallego is. Like, so here's the problem: Kirsten Cinema was elected in 2018 on a promise to be moderate. I don't think anyone expected her to keep that promise. She had a she was a liberal in her college years, liberal for most of the 2000s legislature, moderated to win a House seat. People assumed, I think Democrats assumed. That when Arizona did turn blue, she would do a, a Kirsten, a, you know, Kirsten Gillibrand, and go to the left. But she didn't. She's stuck in the middle. She has really irritated people, despite having a 100% voting record with with President Biden, for not going far enough on legislation. 
Um, Gallego is not a good candidate. I, I know a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of people on the Democratic side are trying to hype him up. He is very progressive, probably too progressive for Arizona. Uh, he has a track record of making really abrasive comments on social media, um, salty language, insulting pretty much everyone on the Republican side. And I think that would turn off suburban voters. The problem is, and so you have that, you have those two people there. You have Gallego and Cinema. If they're both running, that you know, we don't think Cinema wins, but she could eat up to five, ten percent of the vote. Um, you would think that would benefit Republicans, right? I mean, you you would think that, but we're not entirely sure because we're not sure what the Republican side is gonna look like. Yeah, and talking to Eric Cunningham, there's reporting out of Arizona. Look, this isn't my opinion. This is people in Arizona that tell me these things. I just sit here and talk, but I do talk mm -hmm. to people there. There's getting to be some resentment over the state-run Arizona GOP, even by Republicans out there. Mm -hmm. They're getting really tired of this. If they run another crazy person, and I'm, and that's, I'm that's, sorry. There's a good chance. There's a good chance they there's do that. There's a great four, chance of it. Four of the five candidates who are even considering a run are lunatics. If they run another crazy person, I don't know how you even lay this race out because, you know, Gallego, he's abrasive. The propensity for him to say something really off the wall that offends people is probably really, really high in this race. Mm -hmm. Cinema could hold the course and wind up being the most the most normal person mm -hmm. in this race. Is there a path for her to survive this if everything around her goes crazy and she just kind of keeps her head and she keeps kind of that? I know people roll their eyes. Having the support of the U.S. Senate as a sitting U.S. senator is a mm -hmm. big thing. That is not nothing to sneeze at. If they don't particularly go yeah. after her, does she have a path here? I think the gambit that she's making is that she can convince Democrats to stand down and not nominate someone. That's what I think her gambit is. Do I think it will work? No. But if Gallego proves to be this abrasive, as I expect he will be, and this inept, um, I do think it's it's possible you could see an effort from Democrats to try and make sure that cinema. Uh, to try to either keep their nominee off the ballot or to have cinema win the Democratic primary in some manner and then run as an independent anyway. That would be, but again, that'd be very unlikely because cinema is very unpopular with Democrats. Democrats are unhappy that she voted for uh, two trillion in new spending instead of five trillion in, in new spending. Um, we're, we're, it's relative relative standards here. But yeah, we, that's her best chance that we would give her very low chances. We have this as a toss up right now. Is the Republican side potential candidates, Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, Andy Biggs, it's, it's not good. It's really bad. And folks are going to recoil that you called them lunatics, and that's probably a little far. People like Mark Lamb, mm -hmm. who thinks that local sheriffs have more authority than the federal government. Like, we're, we're not exaggerating. Yeah. These are the, these are off-the-wall bonkers people that don't yeah. need to be anywhere near elected office. Yeah, no, seriously. Lamb is a great example. There's a, he, is, he is aligned with a movement of sheriffs who are convinced that the supreme authority in the United States is not the Constitution, but is local sheriffs. This is ridiculous. This is just straight-up ridiculous nonsense. And he adheres to this. He's a supporter of this. He's gone to conferences supporting this viewpoint absolute lunacy and yet this could be the republican senate nominee like in that scenario is gallego that is his propensity to say n dumb things on social media does it matter as much as the sheriff potentially you know supporting j6 and thinking that share that he is the supreme lawgiver in the united states like it, it's it this is why we have it as a toss-up instead of leans republican if this is a competent republican field we could have moved it to leans republican but we didn't because this field is bad yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. Let's go to Montana, which has almost the opposite problem. Uh, John Tester, Democrat, quite popular, 
popular bipartisan-wise across the U.S. Senate. And again, people roll their eyes, but that's a big deal. Like People like mm -hmm. Tester. They like working with He's one of those guys that has a reputation. You can work with him, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not he's not going to get any fire from his you know backside from Washington. But this is almost the opposite problem where Tester's a Democrat. It's a it should be a Republican pickup on paper, but the Republicans might infight their way into Tester surviving here. Yeah, so Montana voted for Trump by about 16 points. It has been more Republican than that before. It shifted a little bit left in 2020, which tends to happen in Montana. They tend to swing against incumbent presidents of either party uh, to some degree. Um they, Democrats started to compete here statewide in 2020, and they lost. They lost the Senate race by 10 points with the popular governor. So you would think this would be a pretty easy race. The problem is the Republican side isn't great on top of all you said about Tester. He has, last we checked, he has about a 60% approval rating, which is really good. That's what you would need to win a state like Montana. Uh, the Republican field is basically, as of right now, Ryan Zinke and Matt Rosendale. Matt Rosendale is one of the leading House Freedom Caucus members. He is a brace if he lost to Tester in 2018. And then Ryan Zinke is a scandal-plagued former cabinet official who only won a, a House district by three, that he should have been winning by 10, 10 or 15. Not a great field on the Republican side. There could always be more that jump in, but this is what it looks like right now, and it looks like the club for growth is really going to go in for Rosendale. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to watch. Eric Cunningham joining us. Let's go to Ohio. Look, here here we these are people that came up in 2018. This is a very different map. Ohio is very different. This used mm -hmm. to be a swing state. It's no longer a swing state. It's solidly Republican. It almost double digits probably by the time we get to the next cycle depending on who the presidential nominees yep. are. Sherrod Brown's a weird one because he wasn't supposed to win the first time. What's the landscape for him coming up this time? And like you said, again, we're coming out of a, a thing where J.D. Vance won, but he underperformed. Mm -hmm. What's the landscape looking for Sherrod Brown right now? Of our three toss-ups, this is the one we feel most confident will go to Republicans. If we did tilt ratings and we don't because they're bad, this would be in the Republican column. Um, the, the reason we're holding it at toss-up right now instead of leans Republican is we do want to see the Republican field solidify a bit more. Both of the announced Republican nominees, or both of the, um, Matt Dolan is the only one who's announced right now, I think, and he would win this race pretty easily, I think, but he'd have a pro he'd probably problem winning the primary. He's a bit bit more moderate than a lot of Republicans would like. Uh, we, we think the Ohio Secretary of State, LaRose, is going to announce. He would also be a really good nominee. Um, the risk comes if Republicans nominate someone a bit more on the nutty side, which is always possible. This could be a clown car primary field like it was last time. Vance only got about a third of the vote. In his primary win, uh, which is how you got someone like him running, we do think this time will be different, and we don't and we don't think Sherrod Brown is that popular. His approval is about plus eight, which, when you consider Ohio, is about Trump plus eight. That's not where you would probably want it to be. You would want to be more than sixty point margin, you know, about sixty, you know, fifty five to forty five. It's possible he wins. That's why it's a toss up. But we really do think that when the Republican field solidifies. This will be one that we move into the Republican column eventually. Brown is a good fit for the Ohio of 10 years ago, but it's increasingly difficult for someone as progressive as him 
to actually be able to hold on in the state, especially against a candidate who is not like it was last time, Jim Renasi, who did not run a campaign. This time he's going to have someone who will be running a campaign. Yeah. Eric Cunningham joining us. Uh, Michigan, a state that uh, is now went from swing state to pretty solidly blue in 2022, kind of surprised some folks. And then Senator Debbie Stabnow surprised folks by standing down. She's going to retire. However, this is one of the states where the Democrats actually have a pretty deep bench of pretty mm -hmm. good candidates. This is going to be a tough pickup for Republicans. But how do you see this race? So this is a leans Democratic race right now. Um, Democrats have a great bench. They have a bunch of qualified nominees to choose from because they've won wave elections there in 2018 and 2022. Um, they did really, really well in those years because Republicans nominated bad candidates. Uh, it's pretty much that simple, especially in 2022. The Republican side of the field, um, this would be a tough state even if, you know, even if they had a good field. They don't have a good field this time. Uh, John James is about the only genuine rising star they have, and he's already lost a Senate race twice. He lost in 2018 and in 2020. Running for a third time in three Senate cycles would just seem like a, not, a, not a great idea. I think you would want to wait a little bit longer to do that. Which leaves Republicans as basically a field of nobodies or D-list former House members. Someone like Peter Mayer would be a great Senate candidate, but he lost his primary. He wouldn't win statewide. Um, we're pessimistic about this. We do have it at Leans Democratic because for, at the moment, the field, we don't know who Republicans are nominating, but we do know Democrats are going to nominate someone who's probably pretty good. Probably Alyssa Slotkin uh, would be one of the ones that would be up there. We're, we're pretty confident. Yeah, Eric Cunningham joining us. Let's go out to Nevada, a state that everybody needs to be paying attention to because of a couple things. One is they're going to take a test run with ranked choice voting and things like this. Number two is they may be getting bumped up on the primary calendar as well. Mm -hmm. Cortez Masto survived out here, but this is Nevada's starting to trend towards kind of like Arizona, where the state GOP should be doing better than they are, but they're in a bit of a shambles right now. That could be more of the story than the actual candidates when it comes. Look, it's Vegas and Reno and everything else when it comes to Nevada. And the state GOP is just not doing well in Nevada right now, even though they probably on paper should be doing much better. That's kind of mm -hmm. the story out there right now, isn't it? Yeah, they won. They won one statewide race last time. They won the race for governor, but they lost everything else. Uh, worth noting the ranked choice voting thing. That only happens if it passes again by ballot initiative this time. Their top, the top five idea is genuinely terrible, and I hope it does not pass. That being said, we're giving Democrats the benefit of the doubt here. Leans Democratic. You know, the state has trended Republican in the past four elections, presidential elections. But Republicans just can't seem to win statewide. They can't really cross the gap. It's kind of like the North Carolina of on the Democratic side right now where it's just Republicans have not been able to cross that gap. They have like they have a couple of interesting potential choices, but we do think, you know, Rosen's a pretty decent incumbent and Republicans are going to really need to prove something here. Laxalt was leading almost every poll before he lost. And so we're going to have to consider that again this time. Yeah. Eric Cunningham joining us. Let's go to Wisconsin. I find Senator Tammy Baldwin to be an absolute enigma because she is absolutely, without any question, one of the absolute best Democrats in the U.S. Senate on camera. Like, it's not even close. She's fantastic mm -hmm. on interview shows. She's great on Sunday shows. She's great on any kind of media hits. She's great. They never use her for hardly anything. Now, I don't know if some of that's her own making or whatever, but it, it, it's almost like she's the forgotten U.S. Democratic senator, but she's got a great backstory. She gets stuff done. She's well-respected by our colleagues. 
and yet you almost never hear about her. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a weird situation with her, but she's up for re-election. Mike Gallagher is a, a well-known name in GOP circles that would be a very stiff challenge for her. Mm -hmm. What do you make of Tammy Baldwin? What do you make of this race? Baldwin is, is the other member of the most dysfunctional group of senators in the United States. Uh, she is a very, very, very liberal senator, one of the most liberal. Her colleague, Ron Johnson, is one of the most conservative. They rarely agree on anything, and they can barely accomplish anything together. Baldwin is pretty good. She's she's won twice before. She won in 20, 2012, slightly, slightly worse than Obama, and then she won in 2018 by a wide 11-point margin. Although, again, that was a D-plus-eight year. If Gallagher is the nominee, this is when we probably shift into the toss-up column fairly soon. But Baldwin is not a bad candidate by any means. She generally she knows what she's doing, so there is a good reason to give her the benefit of the benefit of the doubt here. She is a she's one of the group of Midwestern Democrats that seem to know their states pretty well and are able to to work within that within that um, flexibility range. I guess you could call it. Yeah, she's one of those where if you set them down in chairs and went over it point by point, she's probably as progressive as some of the squad members on a lot mm -hmm. of things, but she has the common sense not to beat you over the head with it. And she knows how to communicate and it's not just buzzwords. She believes stuff, but she mm -hmm. also knows how to communicate. It's kind of like a Sharon big Brown. deal. Yeah. It's kind of like Sharon Brown. The Midwest thing, like you call it the Midwest. That's a real thing. Like that, that attitude, that way of communicating. I know people kind of, you know, sometimes we make fun of it a little bit or, you know, the all shucks stuff. That's a real thing. And when you're mm -hmm. talking about something like the U.S. Senate and a statewide race and Johnson underperformed, by the way, even though he survived, that's something we should probably mention here mm -hmm. as well. That's a real thing. She connects with people and she's compelling and she's got the backstory. So even though she's very progressive, it doesn't hit you as something that's abrasive or that's not the first thing you think of when you think of Senator Tammy sure. Baldwin. That's a big deal. Yeah. Honestly, it's pretty similar to her colleague, you know, in the state, the state across from her, you know, Amy Klobuchar or Sherrod Brown in Ohio that, you know, or Debbie Stabenow in Michigan. They tend to know their states really well and have done a good job skating along about as far as they can go. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. 
Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics, from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcast or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. Yeah. All right. Let's go over to the Keystone State, Pennsylvania. This was another hot mess in 2022. We already talked about Oz. I don't want to talk about Mastriano anymore ever. Hopefully he just goes away. Mm-hmm. What is this Senate race going? Is this going to be, I hate to call it a return to normal, but it almost feels like everybody in Pennsylvania just wants to have a normal Senate race here. Mm-hmm. Are they going to get one? They might. Uh, Mastriano has talked about running for Senate. I don't think he will. I don't think he could win a primary given how embarrassing his, his, performance was but the big issue is that casey is not as ideologically distinguishable from other democrats as he used to be especially on abortion where he's pretty much just a standard democrat now but he does have a popular brand in the state um he has a popular name and republicans have a bench in in pennsylvania that's not the best um we have this likely democratic we do think that this is one that that casey should win uh, if Republicans nominated a good nominee, for example, Dave McCormick is considering is making overtures, he'd be a pretty decent candidate. This is one that could be competitive, but we would not have this at the top of the list on the Democratic side. We think that it may be a normal Senate race, but Republicans are going to have to put in a lot of effort to flip the state, especially against Casey, who, who's, again, knows what he's doing. He knows the state very, very well. Josh Shapiro won the governorship. He's gotten a couple of really quick, easy wins. Um, he seems to have hit the ground running as a governor. He's there's another guy. He just knows the state. It seems mm-hmm. like how much is that going to affect this race as well? Because he, he, he succeeded so well that race with Mastriano, you already called it embarrassing. I agree with you. I think the Shapiro factor might be a real thing on this coming race. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it kind of depends when you see how popular he is. When, when we talk about these overtures, he is actually like appointing Republicans to key positions in his administration, which is a, a genuinely a thing I think is good. I think more people should do that on both sides of the aisle. I, I really applaud that. I think that's a really, actually a really good um, peace offering gesture to the other side to, to give, to give your, to give your opponent's side qualified people an opportunity to have a say in your administration. That's the sort of thing that can get you bipartisan respect. And that's something I don't think any Republican in Pennsylvania would ever reciprocate. It's going to be really difficult for Republicans in Pennsylvania to start competing statewide again, outside of the you know, presidential level, until they get their act together and start you know electing candidates or nominating candidates who fit within the real, fit within the state's median, which is not uh, you know the middle of nowhere counties, you know Pennsylvania, for lack of a better term. It's the suburbs, it's people who could be electable in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh suburbs, and Philadelphia suburbs. Yeah, tone setting is what I was getting at with Shapiro, and I think he's setting it up where it's going to be kind of hard to rail against him if he's popular. And mm-hmm. so a uh, little jujitsu there. All right, Florida, 
Rick Scott has been all over the news for all the wrong reasons in Republican circles because this guy's racking up more L's than Elmo on Little L Day on Sesame <laughs> Street lately. He's one of the richest people in the Senate. He's frustrated. He's not getting the upward mobility he thought he would. And now he's become something of a punchline amongst his own in-group in the Senate. I don't think he's in danger of not winning re-election. This is a very interesting person to keep an eye on because mm -hmm. he's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of time on his hands. And he's an extremely frustrated individual right at the moment that wants somebody to pay attention to him. That can be a dangerous thing. Yeah. Um, again, we have Florida likely Republican. This is a state Republican should win. Rick Scott should win it. He has won his previous three elections by less than a, by about a percentage point or less, which is really crazy when you think about it. Um, Scott was the NR, NR, or NRSC chair for the last cycle. He was in charge of basically all the recruiting and donations. And the result was, frankly, gross mismanagement of the NRSC. Uh, he completely opted out of spending in any primaries at all, leaving that to Mitch McConnell. Uh, he basically just took a position that any nominee they put out is a good nominee. He spent a lot of money. We're talking millions, tens of millions of dollars on efforts that ultimately did not achieve anything of value. And so a lot of, and then he, after this, he had the gall to run for majority leader, which he lost by a wide margin because of course he would. So he's in a bad position right now. He did genuinely think he could be a presidential contender. I think nobody except him thinks that's actually possible at this point, but he does know Florida really well. He, he does know Florida pretty well. He speaks Spanish. He won a Senate race in 2018. He beat an incumbent Senator in a democratic plus eight wave year, which is just something that does not happen. You do not see States like this flip. Um, you know, I don't think we've ever seen a state flip like that in a Senate in a long time. And so we have it likely, but we think he's, it all depends on the Democratic nominee. It depends on if Scott has actually damaged his brand in his own state. And it also depends on how close to the median Florida comes back to. We don't think Republicans are going to win by 20 points in 2024, like DeSantis did. But we, if it's going to be closer to 10, Scott should be fine regardless, even if he has suffered a little bit. Yeah, let's go down to Texas. Um, you can tell Ted Cruz is up for re-election because he all of a sudden in the last week or so started talking about term limits again as he runs for his third term in the U.S. Senate. Mm -hmm. Hi, Ted Cruz. How are you doing, sir? Um, the problem here isn't that he wouldn't be in a competitive race normally. He squeaked by with just under 3% last time to much fanfare. There's just absolutely nobody on the Democratic bench in Texas that's going to win a statewide election right now unless something really screwy happens. That's pretty much the long and the short of mm -hmm. it, right? Yeah, Texas Democrats are a joke of an organization um, similar to Florida. They have not won a competitive – they have not won a statewide race in 30 years. They've not come close aside from one Senate race in 20, 2018 where, where that was basically more of a Ted Cruz thing than a better work thing. Um, we'll believe this happens when we see it. Again, we do think this is going to be within 10 points in all likelihood, especially with Cruz as the Republican nominee. But this is not a, this is like when the best Democratic target in the country is Texas. That's telling you how bad things are. This is not a state that should be at the top of the list, but this is literally their best potential, their best state to go after. That's a sad testimony. Okay, you also list all the safe uh, states. We're not going to go through all of them, but there's a couple really interesting ones we want to touch on. I'm quick. interested though, but while we get out of life, yeah. you, you have not mentioned West Virginia yet, which I we have. I was saving it to the end, but okay, <laughs> fine, we'll do it now. Uh, look, this is all about whether or not Joe Manchin runs again. If he runs again, Democrats have a shot. If he doesn't run again, this thing's going red um, pretty quick. It also depends on who's in the field. 
Um, but I, of course, I follow this one pretty closely for a lot of reasons. Give me your take on it first, and then I'll share you. So, mind. our take of this is pretty simple. If Joe Manchin loses even five percent, if even five percent of Trump voters stop ticket splitting, Joe Manchin loses, and his approval rating is in the in the tank right now. It's about forty percent, according to Morning Console. I've seen lower. We think it is. We have we have a likely Republican. We do think Manchin is the decisive underdog here. His approvals could recover. He's got two years to, you know, a year and a half to actually get his approvals back to where they were. But this is a guy who only won by three last time. He's going to need to significantly revamp his image from where it was. Is it possible? Sure. He's no longer the only vote in the middle. Um, he's one of two now. He, he can still afford to flake off now because they have 51 senators. But it's going to be a struggle. It, I mean, this is one of those states that we think if he does not run, or if the Republican nominee is Jim Justice, which it looks like it very well could be, he's really making overtures of Senate run. This is one they could really get out of control for Democrats. This is why we said we start out with Republicans that flipping one seat. They only need to flip one seat to get to 50. If they flip two, that's 51. We already think they're going to get to 50. Um, unless Democrats can win Texas or Florida, we really think this is a they there's a very good chance Republicans even get a bare minimum of 51. Yeah, so here's the story on this, and I'm not going to do the prediction game. I'm just going to lay you out a couple of the things that are going on in West Virginia for folks that don't pay attention to it other than when Joe Manchin pops up on a Sunday show, okay? Mm -hmm. There is no statewide, with all due respect to my Democratic friends who I have on this program and trying to get them on now, there is no statewide Democratic Party in West mm -hmm. Virginia right now. They didn't even field 20-some seats for the House of Delegates. It's, like, it's, it, it's non-existent. The, there's two new people in charge of the party, and I think they're the right people, but it's going to take... This, this is going to take a couple cycles for them just to get competitive again at all. I'm talking just fielding mm -hmm. candidates, not even winning. He is the Democratic Party. And don't kid yourself. Again, this is not my opinion. This is a source. If he wants $100 million from the national fundraisers, he's going to get it if he decides mm -hmm. to run. He'll be 76 when he swears in for this term if he decides to run again. So he's getting up there. He doesn't really like the Senate. A lot of this is going to depend on who the Republicans put up. Justice I can't imagine why Justice wants this job because he's a part-time governor. He coaches his high school mm -hmm. basketball. They had to pass bills in the legislature to make him come to Charleston, to the Capitol. Um, <laughs> COVID actually saved his administration because he, he rose to the occasion on COVID. I will give him that. But he doesn't want to govern full-time. You can't be a part-time senator. I don't know mm -hmm. why he'd want this job, but he's got a lot of really powerful people in his ear about it. So we'll see what happens there. Mooney's already declared to run because he's got ethics investigations problems coming down the pike and he wanted to mm -hmm. get a hold of that one. He, Manchin despite Manchin might run for re-election just to fight. Oh, Mooney yeah. Because they hate each other. Ma Manchin endorsed Rune, uh, Mooney's primary, uh, David McKinley in the primary against Correct. Mooney. Um, he, yeah. that's, that's like, he, he tried to intervene in a Republican primary. That's how much he does not like Mooney. <laughs> yeah. He despises Mooney. So that's a dynamic to keep on. Here's the other one to pay attention to a little bit. And people are going to roll their eyes a little bit. You mentioned split ticketing since they got rid, look, they got rid of straight ticket voting right about the time West Virginia went red. Those mm -hmm. two things are not accidental. Okay. But Joe Manchin has gotten split ticket voting. Here's the dynamic everybody needs to pay attention to in the state of West Virginia. They have super majorities. There's only 13 Democrats in the entire House of Delegates and state Senate combined. Everybody and their mother is running for West Virginia governor on the Republican side. Powerful people, big name people. Shelley Moore Capital was a U.S. senator. Her son's running. Um, Miller, the U.S. rep, her son's running for governor. 
there's going to be a hot mess of people running for these seats because they know on the Republican Party, you've got a good chance of winning. Mm -hmm. You've got super majorities that aren't getting a lot of stuff done. There's some controversial stuff going through the House of Delegates. Just because it's a super majority doesn't mean there ain't going to be infighting. There is a dynamic here where whoever they put up for governor, it could get messy on the Republican side. Mm -hmm. I know on a phone and I know in an online poll, people are saying they're tired of Manchin for the first time in about 20 years going in a booth and voting against him. That's a little different. And I'll Mm -hmm. believe it when I see it. That's just what I'll leave. Yeah. Yep. And and that's understandable. We're just looking at it from the data side of things. And we struggle to find a scenario where unless like that happens where he wins. Randy, we, we struggled to find a scenario where Susan Collins wins in 2020, and she did. But if if it like if West Virginia swings as much as as Maine did from 2014 to 2020, Manchin loses by 15. Like he make no mistake here, he is running an uphill fight, especially in a presidential year. Uh, it, it's totally possible that that there is some stuff that happens. That's why there's two years. These are ratings that are out right now. These are going to change in a year. They're going to change in in two years when they actually have the election. We're a little bit early on these ratings, so it's entirely possible that we're you know we're looking back on this a year and a half from now, and Republicans have a clown show gom- nominee for governor or and nominated Alex Mooney for Senate under an ethics investigation. Yeah, that's a scenario where we change this rating. That that would be what I would say there. Yeah, and I think the presidential candidate is going to really matter here too because I don't mm-hmm. think whoever it is in 2024 is going to get a plus 42 again. Yeah. So that could be a factor as well. But I agree with you. I think it's an uphill fight. I think the odds are against him. I've just been doing it too long. I, I'll believe that they're going to get rid of Joe mm-hmm. Manchin when it actually happens. So just keep mm-hmm. an eye on that. Two ones I want to touch on real quick. California, Dianne Feinstein hasn't officially said she's not going to run. Look, there's been rumors for years about her health, and I don't want to get into that just out of respect, but it's it's past time for her to go. We'll just leave it at mm-hmm. that. A lot of big names that are in a lot of media, especially social media, news media, running for this thing. Where do you put this race? Uh, we have it at Safe Democratic. but So here's the thing with California. California has a jungle primary and open primary system. It's a bad system where the top two candidates, regardless of what party they are in, make uh, get you know are, are on the general election ballot. It's very possible that Democrats have both candidates going into November, which is terrible. That's absolutely terrible. It should not happen. And when it does happen, Republicans simply do not vote. Same happens the other scenario. There are elections where Democrats are locked out. There are going to be so many Democrats running for this seat. Adam Schiff is already running. Uh, Barbara Lee is considering running. Katie Porter's already running. Like everyone in California is going to want the seat and it's going to turn into yet another fight between the Bay Area Democratic establishment and SoCal. And the Bay Area is going to win. Like don't don't get don't get any surprise. Don't you know, get anything surprised there. Katie Porter is not winning this thing. Uh, this is not simply not how it works in California. I think it is very possible that we go into this race. There are two Democratic candidates. And if Republicans really wanted to, they could control which of the two is chosen. I don't think they'll have any real say whatsoever. Last time this happened, the choice was Kamala Harris or Loretta Sanchez. And they were not Loretta Sanchez. Um, this was just Kamala Harris and one of the Sanchez sisters. 
And they went for Kamala Harris, inexplicably, even though Sanchez is far less liberal than, than Harris. So basically, this is going to be this is going to come down to whichever the Democratic Party establishment in California wants. And they're probably going to be the nominee. One name to really look out for is London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco. Um, if she's interested in the Senate seat, you're going to see all, all of the Pelosi team fall behind her, most of the Bay Area. And it's going to be really difficult for another Democrat to, to challenge that. Yeah, and rumor is all that uh, bad press Katie Porter's been getting might have been coming out of San Francisco, and we'll mm -hmm. leave it at that for right now. Yeah, wink, wink, nudge, yeah. nudge. Cali yeah, the, the, that, that, that's all internal. Yeah, California is two Democratic parties at war with each other: the ones in the Los Angeles area and the one in the Bay Area, NorCal. And the Bay Area got a lot of the money right now, and mm -hmm. SoCal is not happy about it. We'll have to talk about that another day. One more on the Republican side. I think low-key, this might be one of the uglier primaries, and not a lot of people are going to pay attention to it, but you paid attention to it because you should pay attention to this stuff. Indiana is going to be an interesting little proxy war. It's already kind of getting ugly if you're really mm -hmm. paying attention to it. This thing is going to blow up. There's mm -hmm. no way this one doesn't get ugly, right? Yeah, so Indiana's an open open seat. Uh, incumbent Senator Mike Braun is going to run for governor, uh, which leaves the seat open. This is a safe Republican state. Democrats are not going to win here. They do not compete statewide in Indiana and cannot compete statewide in Indiana at this point. The real question is who Republicans nominate. Uh, Jim Banks is already running for Senate. He is a no-name House member from uh, from uh, Fort Wayne, uh, pretty sure, uh, in north northeastern corner of Indiana. Uh, he has tried to make himself the king of the populists, and it's uh, and that kind of floundered after 2022, where the populist candidates all kind of uh, dissolved into ash, as it were, and lost their elections. Uh, he is now running as a strong, harsh conservative. He's trying. He's really emphasized the word conservative in his campaign thing. Uh, the the populists of the world, the Marco Rubios, are all falling behind him. People who want to shift the Republican Party to the left on economics, um, really falling behind him, along with a bunch of other Midwestern Republicans. Uh, the big one to watch here is Mitch Daniels. He is the former governor of Indiana, very, very popular, one of the most successful governors in state history, current president of Purdue University, where he's had an entire tenure, has froze tuition, run a really successful college there. Uh, this is the sort of guy you want in the Senate. He's a bit up there in age, but if you're looking at someone who you think could be an effective senator, Mitch Daniels would be one of them, and he's not a squish. He is genuinely very conservative. He was known as Mitch the Knife back in the day because he was just cutting, he cut spending and cut all this. I mean, he was just a, a very, very good governor. The club for growth, growth is aggressively going to spend against him, and they're going to spend on banks. You may wonder why they spend for the less conservative guy in the race. Well, it's because the, the president of the, of the club for growth was the nominee for governor in 2000 in Indiana. He lost by 15 percentage points. Uh, that's embarrassing. He ran for governor again in 2004 and had to drop out after George Bush endorsed Mitch Daniels. He is still mad about this. That is why they're spending against Mitch Daniels, is because he is personally angry that Mitch Daniels got the Bush endorsement in 2004 over him. Yeah, but let's be fair here. Mitch Daniels, uh, whatever you think of him, he has the personality of a beige hallway in a nondescript right. government building, mm -hmm. and he's 74. Yes. And he's been out of the game for a while. I mean, you got to think Banks is probably the odds on favorite here, but I think the flame war here could have some repercussions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the only polls that have been out have shown Daniels up big, but this is without spending, and this is also without people knowing who Banks is. Again, he is a pretty obscure congressman from from an out of from an out of Indianapolis area of Indiana. He's not well known in the state, and he's not well known nationally. Um, so. It's, he's going to need to define himself, and that's, I think, why you're seeing him use the word conservative over and over and over again. I think he used the word conservative like 20 times in his campaign video. 
uh, because he wants to emphasize he's a conservative and now not a populist. I would say it probably would lean towards him in the end, but we really don't know. We don't know if Daniels is going to run. We don't know how aggressive he's going to be, and we don't know how and we don't know how vicious the political machine in Indiana will be against Jim Banks. We really don't know. Let me give you the comp here, Ted Budd, mm -hmm. because Ted Budd ran a campaign where it was just conservative everything, a Trump endorsement that came out of the blue sky, and a, and a tidal wave of club for growth. That's the only campaigning that guy did. That's different, though. Cause in, cause I know, in North, but in North that, Carolina, that's what he's thinking. That's what they're thinking. The problem is that nobody in Indiana thinks Mitch Daniels is a rhino. Nobody in, nobody in Indiana thinks Mitch Daniels is a conservative. There are a lot of Republicans in North Carolina who never liked Pat McCrory to begin with because he was the mayor of Charlotte. He was a moderate and he ran for governor. He, he would ran it as moderate. He was he was you know, he was he was slow to do a lot of things the legislator wanted to do. There were reasons Republicans did not like Pat McCrory because he he was perceived for years by conservatives in North Carolina as insufficiently conservative. That is why that spending worked. If you try and replicate that model against Mitch Daniels just because he's old and try to say Mitch Daniels is a rhino, like, good luck with that. Everyone in Indiana knows who Mitch Daniels is. I don't think any of them – you ask a Democrat in Indiana if they think Mitch Daniels is a rhino, like, you ask you ask someone who lives under his administration. It's going to be a challenge. The age thing is probably what will work better. Age and residency, that's always how it works in Indiana. Residency in particular. If they really want to go after him, go after him residency. Will they be smart enough to? I don't know. They seem really convinced. Like they seem to really in on. We can just McCrory the guy, but that's that's trying to transfer a dynamic from a state to another state when the people involved are just not the same thing. Right, but the people that are involved are the same people that are involved in that. They've got a success, and now mm -hmm. he's putting it with his personal vendetta. Right, and right. that's the dynamic. That's they're trying to transfer there. the model to a state where it's, they're trying to transfer the model to cast anyone as a rhino rather than rather than Pat McCrory, who believably is not as conservative as as a lot of people would like. It's. It's that's that's the challenge. Is can that work? Sure, but again, this is a personal vendetta being led by David McIntosh. We'll see. Um, I think it's gonna be an interesting one to watch, regardless, because it's gonna be very bloody. This is why we bring you on big, in-depth information analysis. You're great. We'll link to the piece, elections-daily.com. I imagine you'll be updating this probably quarterly or so, and then more often as we get closer. Let folks know where they can follow you, Elections Daily, what you got going on, and how to put y'all in their information rotation going forward until we get you back, my friend. Yeah, uh, thank Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at D.E. Cunningham, too. I mostly just post uh, stuff for Elections Daily along with some other pop culture stuff I've written for Ordinary Times, which... Uh, uh, Andrew contributes to. Um, I've written some stuff about pop culture and and, and whatnot there. Um, we you can find us at tw on Twitter at elections underscore daily elections dash daily dot com. We have a YouTube channel. Watch a podcast there. Uh, if you want to get our articles in your inbox, you can go to our website and subscribe. Uh, it's at the top right corner. Whenever we post an article, you get notified. We do update. We do post a lot of articles, and we're going to be posting them more often as we're starting to get back into the swing of things after Christmas, after this little lull in the news cycle. Um, but yeah, really just liking and subscribing. That's how you can find our content. Uh, we're going to be moving our YouTube channel in all likelihood soon. Uh, we are under Decision Desk HQ. 
Uh, so we're maybe maybe moving our YouTube channel a little bit. So do keep an eye out for that. We will announce that there if we do that. But yeah, that's where you can find us. Yeah, you do great work, my friend. We're going to have you and your compatriots on frequently in this cycle. We rely on you. And I've been with you since you first started doing this stuff. I greatly appreciate you. You do good work, sir. Thank you very much. Continued yep. success. We'll do it again soon. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be on. Yes, sir. Thank you. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.